good morning, everybody. Good morning, Blue Water Mission. Uh, my name is Jason, as Craig pointed out already. Uh, maybe some of you know me. Uh, my role, I wear many hats at Blue Water. The most recent hat is I work with the high school. I'm the high school youth pastor. And so, yeah, go high schoolers. Uh, but I am blessed to be here today. I've been a blue, part of Blue Water for many years. Uh, but I'm excited to talk to you today about love. I'm excited to talk to you specifically uh, as we've been talking about love and these different aspects that come with love, uh, to talk about what it means to being disciplined in love. Uh, when TJ asked me to speak, it was actually not, I think, originally on this topic. I was later assigned this topic. And then I'm like, TJ, discipline? Come on, man. You know, like, oh, okay, you know, there's that proverb about the rod. We're not going to talk about that so y'all can loosen up a little bit. Uh, but I was like, discipline. And TJ asked that when we speak, we would speak from a place of personal experience and a place of authority, something that we've lived. Uh, when I think of discipline, I think of my parents. <laughs> uh, for better or for worse, I love my mom and dad. Uh, but I think of discipline when I think of my parents. Uh, I'm not a parent. So I was like, shoot, I don't even have a dog. How can I speak on discipline? If I'm not a parent who has to discipline their kids, and if I don't have a dog. Uh, and as I was wrestling with this a few months ago, um, the thing that came to me as a personal experience to speak out, out of is actually uh, my experience as a runner. Uh, are there any runners, long distance, short distance runners here today? Retired? Yeah, me too. Me too. I hung up my running shoes a while back. Uh, but to speak from a place of experience and authority, specifically in running. And you see running as an analogy throughout the Bible in different ways and different forms. Uh, but I want to share a story uh, about my experience as a runner in high school and in college. When I was in cross country, uh, there we go, all right. <laughs> uh, when I was in cross country, uh, I was a runner. Um, and this is my team. The two older gentlemen on the side are our coaches. Uh, but I, I ran cross country in high school and in college. I also ran uh, track uh, in high school. And I'll confess, I'm, I hate running. <laughs> Uh, I, I really don't like running, and even distance running is something a little bit hard. And for those of you who may be distance runners, you resonate with this. Running can actually be kind of boring. <laughs> like before they had like the earphones and all that, uh, running to me was actually kind of boring. Uh, what made running really interesting is actually running with the people who are next to you, uh, the people who are side by side with you, your teammates. Uh, so I grew up uh, in California, uh, shock, a lot of people think I'm from here, but I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm from California, I wasn't intentionally trying to trick anyone. Uh, but I ran cross country in California, and in California, specifically in the San Francisco Bay Area, it, it gets kind of cold, and track season starts up at the end of winter, and there was this one day, uh, my senior year, I was captain of the team, and we were on a run. 
Uh, it was actually a shortened run because the weather was freezing cold and it was raining. But track, long distance, cross country, weather no matter, you go. And so they sent us out into the run. Uh, varsity guys, we did about six miles. Varsity girls did about five. And JV did about four miles. And so we go off on this run, and as I'm coming back, uh, personally, I feel the cold makes me actually run faster. Kind of helps numb you out, uh, numbs out your legs, and then you just got to worry about your mind and what you're going to think of for the next 40 minutes. Um, but as I came back, uh, I was first back. My teammate on varsity came next. And then we started counting as the varsity, rest of the varsity came in as the rest of JV came in. And about 10 minutes goes by. Uh, the, run, the run is designed so we all finish around the same time. So we all finish practice around the same time. And what starts to happen is about 10 minutes go by, and as we're counting, we notice that one girl has not yet come back. And she was a JV runner, a freshman, first year on track. This is probably about her third week on the team tops, maybe second week. And 10 minutes have gone by and we notice she is not coming back. Uh, we make a decision there. Uh, I make a decision as the captain to divide up my varsity track team to send the two slowest guys half a mile back to school to get a car. Because in my head I'm thinking, you know what, no matter what, she's going to come back and she's going to be wet and cold. So I send the two slowest guys the shortest distance to go and get a car. I instruct them to bring back blankets, jackets, sweaters. Worst case scenario in my head's playing out. Hypothermia? Question mark? Uh, then what begins to happen is uh, they go. The rest, the rest of us, the four of us left. Uh, we divide up into twos. Luckily, the JV were running a circuit, so it's a big circle. Uh, we sent two this way, two this way. My logic was that uh, all of us could run about a five-minute mile. We sent two this way, send two this way. We'll find her in about 10 minutes if she's not lost. And so we go. In the cold, in the rain, we take off two separate directions. I'm going to leave the story there for now. <laughs> uh, but what I would like to do is actually pause before we get into our word and open us with a little prayer. Is that okay? Uh, Jesus, we come before you today. Uh, we thank you, Lord, what a gift it is to be able to worship. What a gift it is to be able to celebrate. What a gift it is to come before you today uh, to dig into your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would make your presence known. Whatever words would come out of my mouth, Lord Jesus, I pray that it would land on the soil that you have designated for your purposes, for your kingdom. I pray, Father, that as we gather today, it says in the word where two or more are gathered, there you are. And so, Jesus, we are here for you and you are here. We ask that all distractions would be silenced now in the name of Christ Jesus. We ask, Father, that nothing would stop us from receiving your word for us corporately as Blue Water Mission 
and individually. I pray, Father, for the words that you have given me. Uh, Let only your words come out of my mouth. If any words are not from you, Lord Jesus, I pray that it would fall to the gym floor uh, to be left. But let your words remain. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to look at a passage today. It comes from John 15. Uh, We don't have it all on here, but you do have it all in your programs. John 15 is actually a really famous passage. It's a passage where Jesus talks about being the true vine, and we are the branches. Uh, If you've been around church a lot, you've probably heard many different sermons, many different spins, takes, analogies, right? Some people say that the difference between a fruitful and an unfruitful vine, you know, one gets pruned, the other gets taken away, right? Discarded into the fire. But either way, you're going to get cut. <laughs> Either way, you're going to go and you're going to get pruned for God's kingdom fruitfulness, for his glory. Uh, as we look into John 15 today, a little bit of context, uh, as we won't be focusing on what a lot of people recognize as John 15. Uh, that first part about the vine and the branches, I actually want to take us into the part that comes afterwards. Uh, Take us into John 15, verses 12 through 17. Uh, One of the reasons is I think uh, a lot of those verses get overshadowed and get overlooked. Uh, But a quick background, a little bit of context on John 15. Um, This is around the time of the Last Supper. This is Jesus' last night with his disciples. And where we are is probably somewhere after the Last Supper, even though John does not write about the Last Supper in his book. Uh, We're in between the Last Supper and towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Either Jesus is still in the upper room or he's on the way to the Garden. Uh, But where we are is right there. We're in that moment. We're in that space of tension where Jesus is trying to have this intimate, deep, close moment with his disciples, with his disciples. We're in this moment where Jesus is giving them instruction, encouragement, direction before he goes to the cross. One thing I love about Jesus, if you read this whole part of John, is you notice that Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Jesus doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't try to sugarcoat what's going to happen next. Actually, the passage after this talks about what it means to be hated by the world. Jesus isn't trying to lure his disciples so that they follow him. But he's being real. Really real with them. Uh, Before we go into this part of the passage... uh, Uh, Before we go into the latter part of the passage, a quick summary uh, of where we are. Is that in John 15, verses 1 through 11, uh, something that Jesus says is basically, you cannot have maximum fruitfulness without intimacy with Jesus. You can't bear kingdom fruitfulness without abiding in him. That intimacy with Jesus is key to kingdom fruitfulness. Part of that fruitfulness process is pruning or cleaning, 
but the purpose of it is not to just get cut. The purpose is to become more fruitful. Part of our growth as disciples is pruning to bear more fruit. An example of a pruning season, which Elijah spoke on last week, is how God uses our suffering to build our character, to build our faith. Uh, at the end of this passage, uh, in verse, uh, at the end of this passage, in verse ten, Jesus says, "If you keep my commands, you will you will remain in my love." just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We end this little illustration with that clause. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. You can follow along in your Bibles or on your iPhones. Uh, but John 15, verses 12 through 17. Uh, I'll read it for us as we dive into the word today. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not chose, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you do in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Uh, personally, these verses speak to me almost more powerfully than the verses that came before. Uh, one of those reasons, I think, is maybe because I'm not really an imaginative, illustrative person. I'm the kid who, in elementary school, they told you to draw a picture of what you would look like or what you would be doing in five years. Uh, and I just drew a stick figure and uh, put on, like, an astronaut helmet. I'm not really that good with imagery. It takes me a little while to dissect imagery. What I do like is when you can just get right to the meat. And what I love about this set of verses is there's a lot of meat. Almost every verse you could spend a day meditating on. What does it mean that we know no greater love? What does it mean to love each other? What does it mean when it says so that Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. There's a lot of good questions we can ask that will lead us into deep reflections, but I want us to focus on three parts of the passage today. The first part of this passage is, my command is this, love each other. It appears twice in verses 12 and 17. My command is this, love each other. I think often in church we glance over this, maybe not biblically, or maybe even as we study the Bible, we just skim over it. Uh, we just skim over it in our daily lives, loving each other. I think one of the reasons is maybe because we have so many examples of where this shows up in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love community. Love your enemy. I get it, Jesus. You're really big on love. You're really big on this thing of love, Jesus. 
but I think a question that we can ask, and even in prayer, ask Jesus as we study the word today. Jesus, if love is a big deal to you, how big? To what degree is love a big deal for you? Jesus answers that question as we go into the second part of verse 12. As I have loved you. Jesus commands his disciples in his final moments, love each other as I have loved you. Now I'm kind of asking, great, God, you know, I'm not a big illustrative person. Where's the concrete examples? And Jesus actually gives it to us in the next part. In verse 13, where he says, Greater love has no other than this, than to lay one's life down for one's friends. So when we ask that question, God, how much should I love? To what degree? Jesus says, greater love knows nothing more than this, than for a friend to lay his life down for his friends. There's something really powerful for us as we think about where Jesus is going. We know that Jesus is about to lay his life down. His disciples don't know that. Well, he's talked about it a lot, but maybe they've kind of missed it. Sometimes they do that. But what Jesus says is greater love has no more than this than to lay one's life down for his friends. In this passage, I think what Jesus is doing, he's, he's setting the bar of love. We ask Jesus, got it. Love my neighbor, love my enemy, love community, love you. But to what degree? Jesus says, here's the bar, anything under this, and even reaching for that high bar. A type of love, love to the extremest of forms, to, to love even in death. I could say that Jesus, again, sets that bar pretty high. The second part of this passage that we could look at and I would like us to look at is where Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. I think there's something really deep in verse 15 where he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. The truth for us is, as we follow after Jesus, we are not only no longer slaves to sin, we are not only no longer bounded by our sinful natures. We have freedom from that as we follow Jesus because we have grace as we give our sins over to him. We don't have to bear that weight on just us. But the other neat part about this passage to me is that we're also not called to be servants. There are other passages that talk about being servants. Actually, in a verse after this, Jesus does use a servant illustration. But I think what Jesus is saying here is we're not called to be servants to God in the way that we would joylessly follow commands without knowing the purpose. What Jesus talks about in this passage is the difference between a servant and a friend is that a friend knows the inner workings of Jesus and of, because Jesus has come to show that, God. We are allowed to see and we become privy to God's plans and his purposes as we get closer 
and know his heart. The third part of this passage is um, in the last section where it says, appointed, oh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Uh, Jesus calls us to be fruitful. When, when you gave your life over to Jesus, when you decided to be his disciple, uh, if you're still on the edge of that, not sure if you want to follow after Jesus, I want to invite you that one thing Jesus calls us to is fruitfulness. Uh, Jesus doesn't call us to live stagnant lives, boring lives. Jesus calls us to lead productive, fruitful kingdom lives. Uh, and not just kind of the fruit that will only last a lifetime, but it says fruit that will last, fruit that is sustaining. And, and we do this uh, by abiding in God, by abiding in Jesus, having that intimacy. We do this by enduring, remaining, and being steadfast in Jesus. Uh, I shared earlier in a previous sermon when I spoke here at Blue Water, my, my, my college degree is in forensic science. I got my bachelor's of science here in Hawaii from Chaminade uh, in forensic science. And so one thing I like is I like evidence. I like proof. Uh, I understand that not everything can be proven, and that's why we have faith, and that was kind of a journey through college for me. But if there's proof, I want to see it. If there's proof, if there's evidence, I want to see it. Because you know what? That just gives me a little bit as I move forward. Right? Are you kind of like me where you read about this type of love, a love that commands us to love each other? Are you like me where when you hear about a kind of love that's not just calling us to mindless servitude, but calling us into a friendship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you like me when you want to see fruit that lasts. It's a promise in this passage where it says, fruit that will last. Not may last, but will last. Are you like me, where you want to see that proof? Where if it could be before you as evidence, almost like in a courtroom as exhibit A, it would help build up the case for this type of love? Are you like me? Uh, well, I, I'm like that, if, even if none of us are. And I'm like, God, I want to see it. Let's see it. And I think we see it in this. After Jesus died, he was risen from the grave. Before he goes up into heaven, he gives his disciples a great commission. Or as Jesus is concluding his ministry, he gives them a great commission. He says, go forth and make disciples of all nations. I want you to turn to the person sitting to your left, the person sitting to your right. Look in front of you. Look behind you. I, I submit to you today, exhibit A, B, C, all the way to A, Z, whatever it may come out to. We are evident. We are proof of this love. 
We have legacy that because of the Great Commission, go forth and make disciples of all nations. Think about it. Who discipled you? Who led you to faith? Who led them to faith? Who discipled them? Maybe it was a mentor, a pastor, a parent. I think there's a reality that 99.9 of us in this room could actually trace that lineage if we knew it. That family tree, all the, be, all the way back to Jesus Christ and his 12 disciples. The evidence for this type of love that's sacrificial, this type of love that is intimate, this type of love that is fruitful is evident in us and the work of the disciples. When Jesus says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this to lay one's life down for his friends, the reality is, is later in that day, Jesus would lay his life down for his disciples, lay his life down for us and the people in the world a thousand, two thousand years later. But not only that, right? Because his disciples followed him, all but one of the disciples would lay his life down for the gospel. One disciple who did it, but he was exiled to an island where he wrote the book of Revelations. So we see within our our faith, we see within us this legacy of this love. Uh, what does it take to get there? And I think what it takes to get there is actually this idea of discipline. I'll go back to my story where I was a cross-country runner. Uh, we sent two guys this way, two guys that way, around a circle. We would eventually meet up. And two guys went back to school. The plan worked. As we were running, luckily, she was not lost and not off the trail. Um, but me and my friend, as we went around the circle, we eventually saw her, and she was kind of walking like this along the side of the trail. Uh, and instantly, you kind of know what happened, right? She had stopped running. And when you do that, you kind of lock up. <laughs> Your body locks up. You get tired, you get more tired because you're realizing how tired you are. It's wet, it's rainy, it's miserable. And so we found her kind of in that state, walking along the side of the road. Uh, and what we did was we came alongside her and encouraged her to jog. And our, our jog wasn't really that fast. It was kind of more like a run shuffle or like the running man where we're kind of doing this, you know. Uh, but we got her moving. We eventually made it back to the parking lot of the park where we were running, put her in this nice heated car and drove her back to school while the rest of us ran back because uh, we wouldn't fit in the car. Uh, but she was safe. She made it back. Now, I, I don't really know how that day could have gone differently. Uh, I do know there are two things that could have happened if we hadn't decided to make that choice. You know what? Maybe she would have come back even if we didn't go out. Maybe if we had left and gone home because we were done with our workout, she would have been fine. Uh, but one thing I could say in truth and with 100% confidence is that if we did not do what we did, everyone in that interaction's experience would have been radically different. 
her experience would have been radically different. Yeah, she might have made it back on her own power. She might have made it back. I'm sure she would have. She's got grit. But her experience of that journey would have been completely different. I mean, would you want to walk like this two miles in the rain and cold on your own? I wouldn't. I think running is boring enough. I want to get it over with as fast as I can. Her experience would have been radically different. And there's two things. And I think as we look at this passage and as we look at the Great Commission within the context of this passage, there are two things that would radically change and stop us. Two truths that would rather, that would get us missing the point. The first truth is this, that if we harden our hearts and we grow apathetic to others, we lose it, right? Can you imagine if after Jesus went up into heaven, the disciples hardened their hearts to the Gentiles, who might be actually most of us in this room? Can you imagine if they never reached out to the rest of their community because they thought, Man, these guys, they just killed our, our rabbi, our teacher. I'm done with this. Can you imagine if the disciples hardened their heart in like whatever it was, 34 AD? <laughs> we might not be here. Uh, can you imagine if on my run uh, we had finished our six miles and then we're like, all right, varsity, we're done. Let's go back. It's wet. It's cold. Our workout, we're finished. If we hardened our heart and didn't see who else was coming back and we weren't counting, if we hardened our heart and said, well, you know what? She probably stopped running. That's her own fault. That's her own business. Let's go, guys. Her experience, our experience, would have been radically different if we had hardened our heart. The second way I think this kind of stumps us or get, gets us stuck uh, is if we, become undis- if we become undisciplined in our training and our intimacy with Jesus. It's kind of ironic that when I think of how can I speak from this passage or speak on this topic with authority, I think of running. Because uh, I don't run anymore. <laughs> I haven't run in like six, eight years outside of like a short sprint. If this event, this running event where we sent two and two were to happen today, I would not be able to do it. I probably would have gotten just as cold and just as stuck as she was. Why? Because I had gone and become undisciplined in my training. Jesus talks about in the earlier parts of John 15 that he is the true vine. Part of our training, part of our discipline, is learning how to abide in him. That these things, this loving each other, I don't know about you, but oh man, sometimes it's hard. (laughs) I don't have kids, so that's one thing I don't have to love. I don't have a dog, that's another thing I don't have to love. But I gotta love people. And actually, if I take the Bible seriously, I gotta love my enemy. Luckily, I I don't think I have many of those. 
But I imagine in the same way that Jesus illustrates the high bar of love, he also illustrates the depth or to what degree, what extent we have to go to even love our enemy, to the high bar of love, even in death. For me, love is difficult. I'll confess, I often tell my wife on days when ministry is a little bit too crazy. I don't just do youth here. I do college ministry up at UH, and we have a lot of people interactions, not just in church, not just in ministry. Um, but probably, eh, probably more often than I should, I tell my wife, ah, I hate people. <laughs> people are just difficult. And that's me being a two-year-old. <laughs> I'll be honest, that's me just throwing a temper tantrum because I know I got to do my chores. <laughs> that's me as I was in high school before going on a long run. Man, I want to run eight miles. This sucks. In college, we had to run 10. That sucks. Uh, but I would do it, you know. Discipline is important as we think about our intimacy with Jesus Christ. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you know you need that intimacy. You know you need at times to call on the reserves of Jesus' love, the reserves of his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control. We can't do this Christian walk without tapping into the love of Jesus Christ, without tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be disciplined in abiding in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, we could be doing great ministry. We could be doing great things. We could be going out and fulfilling the Great Commission as much as possible to our own strength. But you know what we wouldn't be doing? We wouldn't be doing it to its maximum fruitfulness. The fruit that will last. I would even wager that if we were doing it in that way, we would actually become hollow ministers. Because the depth of that friendship is not there. If we weren't doing the intimacy part with Jesus, and if we're not disciplined in love, we might take on the mentality of being just a servant who asked to do kingdom work. That's a pitfall for me. And when I say, man, I hate people, that's where it comes out of. One of the most beautiful things about my cross-country experience is that uh, me and those six guys, we trained together. Cross-country, track. About half the year, six months out of the year, because we would summer train on our own, we were running together. We were running eight miles, ten miles. We were racing together. One of the most beautiful things I took out of my cross-country experience is the level of depth and of intimacy with my teammates. It was a beautiful thing to me because I could be in a race uh, in cross-country, a race of 400 people, 300 people, in track, a one-mile race of 20 people. 
And I could tell you who was running behind me by the steps, the sound their foot made as it hit the ground. I could tell you who was running behind me by the sound of their breath. I also knew where they should be because I knew their times. But in a race in cross country of 300 people, I could tell you that's my teammate. He's right there. Look, sure enough, he was there. Now, isn't that the kind of depth we desire with Jesus Christ? I think as Christians, that's something we say a lot, is I want that intimacy to know that God is there, just in reach, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I would posture to you that you can't get to that place without discipline. You can't get to that place without abiding. It says in another passage that the sheep know the sound of the shepherd's voice. If we're not disciplined in seeking after the voice of God, seeking after the heart of God, if we're not disciplined in abiding in Jesus, can we get there? Uh, We're going to close in a little bit, and I want to invite us, uh, as the worship team comes up, we're going to we're going to close with a worship, uh, and then after worship, I'll come back up and give a few specific responses. Uh, but as we're worshiping, I want to invite you. I think they've done such a great job already with leading us into the presence of God. But as they close us with a song, I want to invite you to abide in Jesus Christ. To us, that may look different depending on how our week or how our life has been. Maybe what it means to abide today is to submit to God our plans. Maybe what it means today to abide and be steadfast in Jesus is to lift up to him what's, what's really troubling our spirits. If you've been following the news, There's a lot of things in this world that should trouble our spirits and our hearts. Maybe you've been interceding for that this week. Thank you. Maybe our task today as we close in this worship is to give those things over to Jesus. Maybe abiding today may look like lament for you. Maybe there's something that's been weighing on your heart as a sadness, a burden, I want to invite you to bring that to Jesus today. Whatever abiding looks like for you, I want to invite you to abide in the Lord as we worship together. If that's worshiping and singing, please join us. Uh, Worship is not just the things that we say, but also what we do. So I also want to invite you to take a posture of worship that is reflective of what it means to you today to abide in Jesus. As we close, uh, a couple quick points of reflection and almost as application, it's like an inventory. It's a gut check. A few questions. Are there... Is there anything that has hardened your heart? Has your heart been hardened in any way?
Is your heart hardened towards anyone? As we're worshiping, I want to invite you and just even now, take note of what's hardened your heart. Maybe it's to current events. God, there's so many bad things. I'm just apathetic to it. I'm tired of logging on Facebook because it's always bad stuff. Brothers and sisters, our God is greater. Take note of what hardens your heart, but don't just observe it from afar. We are meant to get in it with Jesus. We are meant to come alongside our brothers and sisters around the world and around this nation, around Hawaii, who are hurting or suffering. Our hardened hearts will not take us there. Our hardened hearts will not send us in different ways to find the ones who may be lost. Take note of what hardens your heart and invite Jesus to soften it. The second question uh, is for us personally. Is there a way that you have become undisciplined in your intimacy with Jesus Christ? I confess this is the one I struggle with. I'm busy. Sometimes I'm famous for a drive-by, drive-by quiet times, just doing it on the fly. That won't sustain me. Is there a way that we have become undisciplined in our intimacy with Jesus that we need to turn into Jesus in order to interact with the difficulties in this world? We actually need to tap into the heart of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you today to tap into that, to ask God, ask Jesus, Jesus, what is one thing I can do this week daily that will discipline me? Maybe that's reinstituting your quiet times. Maybe that's if you have a musical gift of worship, setting aside some time in the evenings in the morning to worship. Maybe that's some time going to your prayer closet, falling on your feet before Jesus and just growing in that intimacy, that training, that discipline. And finally, if you're here today, I want to invite you, whether you've been following Jesus for 20 years, 40 years, whether this is your first time setting foot in a church, I want to invite you because the invitation is the same. I want to invite you into the fruitfulness, the legacy of Jesus Christ. What would it look like, Blue Water Mission, if we went about our day thinking about the legacy of Jesus? What would it even look like about this week for us to meditate on that as a community, to discipline ourselves, to think about it in all things, politics, laws, global environment, racial, social injustices that are happening around the world. What does it look like to us to say, is this the legacy of Jesus? If not, what does the legacy of Jesus look like here? That's a question that needs a disciplined askers.
Let me close this in prayer and then we'll have the artists and any of the prophets come up to give a word. Uh, but as we close, take that before the Lord. However he leads you. Jesus, so we come before you. I confess, Lord God, that my heart has been hardened. Uh, that it's through you I need to submit. Through you I need to come before you can soften my heart, Jesus. And so, Jesus, I come before you and confess my heart needs a little bit of softening. I feel a little overwhelmed. And so I shut down. I block out. Jesus, I confess that I've been undisciplined in seeking after you, that intimacy with you. And God, I don't want to have that servant mentality where I'm doing a lot on the outside, but on the inside, I'm hollow. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill each person here who bears that burden? Jesus, you commanded your disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the giftings of the Holy Spirit. So we wait on you, Holy Spirit, would you fill us? And Jesus, we don't want to just be filled and stay in this gym, uh, but we want to go out because there are people who may be lost. Jesus, would you make us people of kingdom fruitfulness when we ask the question, what does your legacy look like, Jesus? Would we be people out of a place of depth of intimacy with you? We can spread that kingdom fruitfulness. We can spread fruitfulness of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can spread compassion. We can spread your love. We thank you, Jesus, that all these things we have talked about today, you have already accomplished through your sacrifice. That greater love has no other than this, than for a man to lay his life down for a friend. We thank you, Jesus.